Well, we want to welcome our listeners to the L252 podcast today. We are very excited to have as our special guest, Pastor Carl Vaders. He's the teaching pastor at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Lake uh, Valley, California. Carl is also an author of several books. Uh, one uh, that I'm interested in is The Grasshopper Myth. Uh, I've often preached about the grasshopper complex, so that's intriguing to me, though I haven't read it yet. And then one uh, we'll be discussing today on the small church is a book called Small Church Essentials, uh, Field Tested Principles for Leading a Healthy Congregation of Under 250. Um, we also know that uh, Carl works and uh, blogs with um, uh, Christianity Today and also has uh, weekly blogs through newsmallchurch.com. And it just encourages uh, and, and connects and equips innovative small church pastors. So uh, I just want to welcome you, Pastor Carl. So glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Hey, for, first, uh, you know, tell us about your Assembly of God background. Most most of our listeners are from Assemblies of God, so could you mind just giving us a little background on that? Yeah, not at all. Always happy to talk about that. I'm actually a third-generation Assemblies of God pastor. Uh, my grandfather was actually the first general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Newfoundland. Um, which is the sister organization to the American Assemblies of God, and which is now a part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. So he was their first superintendent for 37 years. He established uh, almost everything that they do there, from their headquarters to their bookstore to their retirement center that he and my grandmother passed away in. And then my father uh, was an Assemblies of God pastor until he retired about 15 years ago. And I have been Assemblies of God all of my life. And uh, the church that I now serve at as a teaching pastor, I was the lead pastor for 25 years until just over four years ago, my youth pastor became my pastor and I became his teaching pastor. So we switched roles and we were able to make a, a positive transition of pastoral roles uh, without going through a negative. We were able to build strength on strength. Uh, so my, my whole life has been having the baton passed to me from my grandfather to my father to me and now to uh, the next generation. Well, well, at, at some point, I'd like to, to talk to you a little bit more about that because I do feel like that I'm, a, I'm at a point, uh, and we as a movement, I think, are at a point of transitioning and how can we hand the baton off well. Are, are you planning on writing about that any uh, at all? Yeah, I will. Be. I don't know that we'll make it a full book, but I'm definitely uh, planning it as a section or a chapter in a, in a book that I'll be writing in the next couple of years, probably. And uh, me and my new pastor have actually done two podcasts on it. I've got a podcast called Can This Work in a Small Church? And we've done two episodes on how we did that as well. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we'll want to be sure and get you to give us where that can be found. Um because I think that's so important. Well, um, as you know, I'm sure uh, you're familiar uh, somewhat with uh, Arkansas and know that we're basically a rural state. Uh, We have about any given day, um, you know, 390 to 400 churches. And it it is interesting that um, out of those uh, 390 churches, 352 are below 200, 
and 276 are below 100. So yeah. uh, I think uh, what you can bring to us and what I have read just really excites me about our pastors and our, our churches because the thing that we want to do and the, the, where God is directing us is, is this particular theme, healthy ministers and thriving churches. Um, so uh, let's just talk about um, this aspect of, of smallness. And, you know, in your book, the first section, it just addresses the idea that, small, that a small church is not necessarily broken. And furthermore, pastors of small churches can minister well and, and do not have to settle for less. Can you um, talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the numbers that you just gave, the statistics of small to large churches, uh, is really consistent across the board in, in most denominations and in almost every region of the world. Um, that's the way it is. That there, we have a the Church of Jesus Christ for two thousand years and counting has really moved forward uh, on the multiplication of smaller venues far more than on the building of larger buildings. This idea of the megachurch, while I support it and I've got nothing against big churches, it's an anomaly. It's it's a fairly recent phenomenon, and it's still very, very rare. Um, the, the the bulk of churches are, are very small. And even like the subtitle of my book, which you mentioned, I say churches under 250. And it was one of those things where we were trying to figure out how to put it on the cover. Because in my original, in my first book, The Grasshopper Myth, I defined small churches one way. In Small Church Essentials, I defined it a different way as under 250. But uh, even now, today, I've, I'm working on redefining it because 250 is in the top like six or seven percent size wise of churches in the world. So uh, we chose 250 because I didn't want to choose 200 because 200 is, is, this, is this figure that kind of intimidates people. And if I dropped it down to 150, then I'd be leaving out a whole bunch of churches <laughs> that yeah. still operate by small church principles. But the, a church of 50 is far more typical in the world than a church of 200 or even a church of 100. Uh, that is the dominant way that the church moves forward. And there's a whole bunch of advantages to being small. There's a whole bunch of reasons why small works in places that big doesn't. And uh, we need to be more open to and we need to be resourcing small churches in ways that are specific to them rather than just trying to adapt big church principles by dropping a couple zeros because that often simply doesn't work. Uh, I, I think something interested, I, and I know you, you probably know a great deal more about this, is that uh, even, even now we find that uh, the, the, the mega church, if you please, is is trying to get smaller in um, in what we call packing churches. Um, do you find that principle uh, a lot out there now? Yeah, very much. I mean, any healthy big church that I'm aware of has always, uh, they'll often use the term, we're trying to get bigger and smaller at the same time. If you go to any healthy large church, they will constantly be talking about the value of small groups and of being on a ministry team. Because they understand while there's there's blessing that can happen when you're in a big room, there are some things in certain areas of ministry and growth that you can only have when you're a part of a smaller group where everybody knows your name. So every healthy big church that I know of is always trying to grow, grow and direct people towards small groups as well. Um, so, and, and I think now um, what we're seeing coming through is 
that there's a greater move towards uh, multiple smaller venues rather than everybody in the same room. Even in mega churches, I've got a friend who's a who's a, a church architect. And church architecture is what they call actually a leading indicator. They have what they call, I'm going to give some definitions here that I've just learned recently. They have what they call lagging indicators and leading indicator. Last Sunday's attendance is a lagging indicator. That means it tells you how many you've got, but it already happened last Sunday. You can't do anything about it. It's lagging. Mm -hmm. Church architecture is what they call a leading indicator, which means the plans for how they're going to be building churches give us an idea of where they think the church is heading because you've got to take years and years of planning and design for architecture. So they have to anticipate where the church is going. So my friend who's a church architect has told me the, the era of building a huge venue where the entire church of thousands of people gets together on a single meeting on Sunday morning. He says that era is gone. It's over. It's simply not happening anymore. Even the biggest churches in the country are building multiple smaller venues at multiple times so that the the main way people are meeting is in smaller groups and not in larger groups. They'll have the occasional huge celebration where maybe they'll even rent out a city center or whatever, but they're moving towards the idea that the smaller and more intimate setting is what people are wanting more, where they can do a more personal ministry and where they can get the more personal touch in fellowship and ministry and even in relationship with the pastor. You know, I, I pastored a small church and, uh, and, uh, and pastored a large church. Um, and what, what I've, what I would try to explain to people coming from like a smaller church into our large church is, um, is is basically still the small church concept. You're going to know out of a hundred. You're going to know sixty. You're going to fellowship with fifteen, and you're going to be close to about three. Uh, exactly. So again, that's that that's the concept. Uh, though you're getting larger, you're still getting smaller. Uh, c- could you tell us? There's an interesting story in in the book. I thought was was really good uh, concerning um, how your church grew. I mean. And I just thought it was a, a, a and and how you moved it out and and uh, and how you lead to a certain capacity. Uh, yeah. can, can you tell us about that? Because I think it's just I think our, our our listeners would appreciate it. Yeah. Well, when people ask me how did you get interested in, in uh, and excited about the value of small churches, my quick answer is well, I tried to grow a big one and failed. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's the story you're referring to. So it, what happened was I've been in my church almost 30 years. So I came in 30 years ago to a very small church that had been through five pastors in the previous 10 years. They had almost taken a vote to close the doors. They were very discouraged. They had a dozen people on a typical Sunday. A big Sunday was 30. And uh, we came in, but uh, but it, it's a very, very small facility, less than an acre of land. But we're on a main street in Orange County, California, just eight miles south of Disneyland. So I thought, oh, we're going to grow big pretty fast. We, we can do this. And it took years and years and years. But finally, at about the 15-year point, we were running about 200 on a Sunday morning. So it took us, you know. 15 years to get from, you know, 20 to 200. But then at that point, we rented, uh, I call it the Cafe Gymnatora Librarium, you know, that that all multi-purpose room that every uh, junior high school in America seems to have where they do everything, right? And it, it could seat maybe 400 on a Sunday morning. So 
Every Sunday morning, we would tear everything down from our facility. We'd move it over, set it up, have church there, then tear it all down and bring it back because we were still doing the rest of our events in our church building uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, and during that season in two years where we were at this junior high school, we grew from 200 to 400 people. Like we grew real fast. Um, I, I, I actually went to our deacon board at that point and said, we need to hire a staff, not for 400, but for 600 because this is wearing us out. This, this fast, fast growth is nearly killing the, the, the staff. And they agreed. So we hired a whole bunch of extra staff. And then after holding steady for a couple of months, it started going in reverse. And while it took us two years to go from 200 to 400, it, in less than a year, we went from 400 and we dropped down to, actually, I can't tell you how small we got because it's fun to count when you're growing. <laughs> uh, but when the numbers are, dis- are are dropping that fast, it's like, don't give me the numbers anymore. I know everybody's name. But just, but here, here are two evidences of where we were. Um, we were well under 100 every Sunday. Several Sundays we were under 50. We left the school. We came back into the building, and we fit in there quite easily now. So in two years from 200 to 400, and in less than a year from 400 down to under 100 and sometimes under 50, and there had been no scandal and there had been no split. So I was left reeling. I actually went to counseling at that point. I almost left ministry at that point. I almost left the church. It was really discouraging. But in the years since then, in trying to assess what happened, there were a handful of things that we discovered as to why it collapsed. Uh, the first thing that I discovered was I am not called, I am not gifted, and I am not fulfilled in ministry by pastoring a group of people that's so big that I can't know everybody and that I have to give all of the pastoral shepherding duties to other people. During that season that we were going from 200 to 400, I was miserable. The only time I was happy was on Sunday when the extra people showed up and on Monday when I got the, you know, the attendance report that showed our numbers were up. But the rest of the week, I was miserable because I shifted from what they call the pas- the shepherding and pastoring mode into the ranching and managing mode. And that's not what I'm called to do. I'm not a good manager. I'm not called to manage. I'm called to shepherd people. Um, so, you know, I was spending all of my ministry hours doing things that I'm not good at, that I'm not called to do, and that really suck my soul dry. So uh, you can't have a good growing church when the pastor is miserable and working outside of his gifting. That was the one thing. The other thing we discovered since then was we hadn't built the church on discipleship. We had built the church on kind of putting on a, a pretty cool Sunday morning show with a rockin' band. And then when another church later had a more rockin' band, they all went over and they left us. So it was transfer growth. It was Christians. We, we, we weren't discipling people. We were entertaining bored Christians. And you can't sustain that, or at least it shouldn't be sustained. And so the Lord didn't allow that to keep going. And uh, he allowed me to go through several years of figuring out what happened until I realized, uh, one, I'm not called to do that. And two, I even if I had been called to do it, we weren't doing it in the right way. We weren't doing it by raising up disciples. And I, I thank God now every day that he didn't allow me to build a large church based on transferring Christians from other churches and forced me back to rethink what is a New Testament church look like? What does it mean to actually disciple people and have slow and steady growth rather than the dynamic growth that we had there for a short season? I I think that's so important, what you've touched upon, because I've seen uh, leaders, they, they, they have a capacity 
um, and they have giftings that can lead churches to health. Uh, but maybe it's not that, you know, there's they go beyond a growth uh, percentage or a growth ceiling. And they seem to be able, if they feel comfortable in their skin and what they're doing, I think it, it lends itself to to health. I think that's Im- important. Um, what would you say to pastors who, because I was raised in the church growth movement, and I wanted to, you know, be like some of these other pastors. Uh, what would you say to pastors in, in being able to uh, operate within their giftedness? I, I think it's essential. Uh, we've, there are some churches that will grow large and God will bring numerical growth for them. But for most of us, if we just simply look at the statistics, for most of us, uh, we're going to be fulfilled in ministry and we're going to do our best work at a smaller size. So for me, when I'm talking with pastors, here's what I ask them to do. Think about back when you were called into ministry and back then when you were called into ministry, what did you, what was it you felt called to do the actual activities of ministry? And for most pastors, they'll answer things like prepare Sunday morning sermons, visit people in the hospital, uh, you know, baptize people on a Sunday morning, lead a discipleship class. And most of the things that pastors imagine themselves doing in ministry when they're called to ministry are actually activities that are more suited to a small church environment. Very few pastors, when you ask them, what did you feel called to do? What were you excited about when you were called into ministry? Very few of them will say, I got excited about the idea of building a big staff and raising money to build a big building. And right now, I'm grateful for those who have that calling and who have that ability because if everybody pastored like me, we'd all still be worshiping in caves, right? Nothing would have ever gotten built. Uh, so I'm grateful for those who do those, but that's not what most of us feel called to do. And most of us feel called to do things that are more of a small church nature. So, But we've been taught now for 40 years that if that's what you're called to do, you have to change that. You have to stop being a shepherding pastor. You have to start being more entrepreneurial. Stop being a shepherd. Start being a rancher. Stop being a pastor. Start being a manager, because otherwise your church won't grow. And I simply reject that as a premise. Yes, if your church gets larger, you have to shift the way you do it, especially above 200. It has to happen. It, it, you can't you, you can't pastor everybody personally when there's 400 people coming. You, you can't know everybody. It's not possible. But some of us, most of us, aren't called to that. So what do we do? Let's Let's operate in our sweet spot and let's reach out to people. And as the Lord brings the increase, for a whole lot of us, that's going to mean saying goodbye to the people we've discipled the best. We do that on a regular basis. We are constantly saying goodbye to the people that we've invested years in who have become discipled, and then they get a call from some other church that actually wants to pay them to do what they've been doing for us for free. <laughs> you know, And they're so unrighteous, they want a roof over their head and clothes on their back, so they take the paying job. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But that which it, which they ought to do. We recognized that years ago, and we decided, you know what? That's part of our calling. We train people up to send them out. We are contributing to the kingdom of God in that way, and we're going to continue to do that. So a lot of the fruit that we produce ends up being uh, blessing other churches, but it still is all part of the same kingdom of God, and we're grateful to participate in that. Mm. 
Wow, that, that's that's great. Uh, just just allowing um, the pastor to be comfortable in in who he is, and not feel pressured to um, to do things that uh, maybe some somebody else is is doing. Uh, so, w- with these things in mind, um, because what we want to talk about more than just numbers, because that's where we were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, talking about numbers. How many do you have in your church today? Uh, it was intimidating. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is a healthy, thriving church? And, and, and with that in mind, you know, uh, churches, especially in our district, there are so many that have been long established churches. They have their various cultures, dynamics. Um, how do you navigate those those churches into change to become healthy? Also, they're problematic churches uh, that we've had to deal with lately. Um, uh, with that in mind, what what is a healthy, thriving church? Wow, there's a simple question with only a three minute answer, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you about- yeah. Yeah, no, th- 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 that is that is the essential question. It really is. We have been so used to counting um, f- f- success in ministry numerically that we don't even have a metric to look at it in new ways. So let me uh, uh, approach this. Um, you've got to kind of come at this through the window because the front door is all about numbers. Um, several years ago, I was working on a um, on an article that I was tentatively titled titling influences the new attendance. And as I was writing it, I ran across an article by Kerry Newhoff at the time where he wrote out engagement is the new attendance. And I went, Oh, okay. I guess he's already written it. And I read what he wrote and I realized, okay, we're heading in the same direction, but Kerry's going to a different place than me. Kerry usually writes to a large, from a larger church context to larger churches. And what I realized was this, what he's talking about is correct. For larger churches, they're switching from the idea of simply measuring how many people show up to measuring how many people are engaging. Are they in small groups? Are they on ministry teams? Are they uh, going through the discipleship process? So for him, in larger churches, engagement is the new attendance. So that's what they're trying to measure because that's a better gauge of health. And they're right in larger churches. I was writing and now teach on influence is the new attendance because in smaller churches, in smaller churches, typically engagement is not our primary concern. Attendance shouldn't be our primary concern, but in smaller churches, even engagement isn't our primary concern because if you go to most smaller, especially most smaller rural churches, people are in plenty engaged. In fact, some people are way too engaged, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, engagement is not the primary issue. If you're going to a small church, you're engaged in the process. It may be in an unhealthy way, maybe in a healthy way, but you're engaged. The challenge in the smaller church isn't to get people engaged as much as it is to increase our influence in the community. So we look around, we go, hey, we've got you know this many attending. Everybody who's attending or most of them who are attending are really engaged, they're really involved, they're worshiping, they're showing up and helping out. We've got great engagement. But what's not happening? We're not influencing and impacting the community around us. And so that's, that's the step we need to take a look at. So when we're looking at healthy churches, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we want to do in the community around us? I, I just saw an example of that. I was just in Indiana. 
southern Indiana, right down at the southwest corner, where across one border a few miles is uh, is Kentucky, and across the the border the next way is Illinois. So it's right in that little corner there, tiny little rural place, nothing around. And I I, I went to a church with a pastor in Bufkin, Indiana. And Bufkin is as remote as it sounds. It's it's it. So as we're getting there, we're, we're driving for a long time with no houses at all. And then there's a little shack and then there's a little farm. And then there's several little shacks with rusted tractors in the yard. And I look to him and I go, wow, you're really out in the boonies, aren't you? He goes, yeah, just wait a second. And then there's a really nice house and then a really nice bigger house and then a really nice big construction for a new house and a whole bunch of new houses. And I go, what's who's moving to Bufkin? And he goes, people are coming all over to, from Bufkin because it's really inexpensive to live here. The taxes are really low. And then newer and newer and nicer and nicer houses until there's this beautiful three-story, practically a mansion. And he goes, yeah, that's the doctor who lives across the street from the church. And I look across the street and there's this little church on the hill, 200 years old, where this guy pastors. And as I stood there on his church property and looked around, every house I could see around him, only a few of them, maybe a dozen houses, because it's still very remote, were either brand new or under construction. And so he is looking around and he's realizing, he says, our, the people we now have in our church are the ones who are living in those old, small farm places. And they're wonderful, salt-of-the-earth people that this church is, has been built on for years and are ready to see what God wants to do next. But we've realized that our community is changing. The people that we are now called to reach are the city folks who are moving in, who are, quite frankly, raising our mortgage rates and who are making things more expensive for people because that's what happens when city folks show up to rural areas. But they are our new mission field. So for our church to be healthy, we can't just be the place that has potlucks with the folks who've lived here for generations. We have to be the church that reaches out to brand new people who are coming into our area and who are going to make our church look different. And we are gearing up for that. And we want to see that happen in Jesus name. Now that to me is a picture of a healthy church. They recognize their heritage. They're building on it. They're seeing how the neighborhood is changing and they're ready to reach out to new people. That's a picture of what a healthy approach to small church life looks like. Wow. That's a great, great example. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's where we want to, we want to get. And, and really, I, I think that uh, many of our, our churches are, are doing that. They're, they're really beginning to look into uh, their communities and, um, and see how they can, they can, Better, better connect. Well, we're kind of getting close to the end of our podcast here, but just any anything else that you would just like to impart to us concerning um, the health of of pastors and health of churches? Yeah, the the number one biggest concern that I see when I talk to small church pastors, and I do it on a on a regular basis, is this: most small church pastors are very discouraged uh, by the lack of numerical growth because for so many years we've been told healthy things grow, and if you're not getting bigger, then you must not be healthy. And there are some churches that are small because they're stuck. And there are some churches that are small because that's part of God's strategy. So if you take a look around, you see all the small churches. I started realizing a few years ago, maybe all the small churches in the world 
aren't a sign of a problem that God wants to fix. Maybe they're a part of a strategy that God wants to use. The reality of the matter is Jesus did not wake up this morning depressed by the size of your church. (laughs) You may have, but he did not. He knows what you have and what you don't have. He knows how many people are there and who's not there. He knows your budget. He knows your facility issues. He knows all of that, but the mission hasn't changed And we are still called to reach the lost, not later when we have more money, not later when we have more people, not later when we get a better building, not later when we have a better worship team, whatever, any of those things that we put on it for later. No, right now, right here with who you have, you can do what God is calling you to do right now. So I just want to encourage small church pastors who are feeling discouraged. This is this is the time to step up, not wait till later, but Jesus knows where you are. Jesus wants to fulfill some great things in your ministry right now with what you have. Uh, just like he asked, uh, you know, Moses, what's in your hand? God is asking you today, what's in your hand? And he will use it. Mm. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for uh, just you. You've given us a great download of, of information today and, you've you've blessed me and you've helped me and I can tell you you've given me uh, just a a new um, a new heart I guess for uh, the small church uh, although and I started pastoring a small church but uh, we that that's all we want to do is try to help our pastors and uh, as as you so aptly said reach reach the lost and make disciples of them. If our uh, ministers uh, and listeners want to uh, just maybe follow your blogs or give us give us different avenues, we can make that contact. Sure. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned earlier, newsmallchurch.com. Just really recently, I've changed that over to carlvaders.com. If they go to New Small Church, it'll immediately bump them over to the new website. So carlvaders.com and uh, our our slogan there is helping small churches thrive. So if you go there or if you have my name spelled right, Carl with a K and Vaders is V-A-T-E-R-S. It's Carl Vaders on on Twitter, at Facebook, on Instagram. When you've got a a unique name, you don't have to change your name for all those social media places. And you can subscribe to the newsletter at carlvaders.com. And every week you'll get a newsletter with all the stuff that I've written, podcasts that I've created or been on, and any new resources and ideas that will help small churches thrive. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to encourage our listeners to read um, Pastor Carl's book on small uh, small church essentials and to follow him and uh, Pastor Carl just uh, I, I want you to know how much I appreciate uh, you doing this your valuable your valuable time and your investment into uh, the churches of Arkansas and uh, to our listeners uh, thank you so much I, I pray that you've been blessed by this podcast and we look forward to, to uh, some podcasts down the road God bless you all.